Hello, this is Moss Whelan and Story in Mind. Just getting out for the walk. We have another clear sky, a uh, starlit sky. Just taking the opportunity to put out the garbage. Another incredibly frosty morning. Let's see, today's topic is the dark night of the soul. In a number of in a number of st- story, <clears throat> excuse me, um, manuals, guides, uh, there is this low point of the crisis. <clears throat> We've, we've hit rock bottom in the story. Everything has fallen apart. The original way of doing things doesn't work. And the main character is faced with failure and yet it's a a false failure we know that the main character still has to go through the final part of the story transformation of the climax which I think in the in the Greek or etymology etymologically it comes from uh, a term for a ladder so it's like climbing the ladder and I'm wondering if crisis also has uh, some kind of... I'm sure it has an etym- etymology. But it would be great if, if you could come up with these words that... See, dig up all the words that are used in story structure, like climax and crisis, and that they would have these deeper meanings. <clears throat> or also, just symbolic meanings like a ladder. So the dark night of the soul is is crisis. When you're when you're doing a tragedy, it's flipped around and the crisis s- seems like
a success. It seems like things are going well. But usually people are writing uh, the crisis you know, as, as a negative often. I suppose a way to subvert expectation would would be having a, a failure that seemed like a success, like that there was um, almost kind of a temptation, maybe a, a Faustian temptation, and... and uh, Oh, you, you've gotten what you desire, you know, but it's it's not what you need. So it doesn't resemble the usual uh, failure. I'm just thinking of the the usual crisis, which is the. Or I often find myself thinking, okay, well, what's the worst thing that could happen? And it turns into this extreme of, you know, it's like, oh, they've been captured, um, they've been injured, and they've lost all their friends. And so, when I'm, especially when I'm doing editing, I'm thinking about, okay, how can I kind of reinvent this? How can I uh, have it mean more than just this physical stuff going on? So I'm looking for that, that, that uh, difference. There's these odd stripes on the the road, like these wet-looking stripes. I think they've salted the road, perhaps. Usually when I think of salting, it's like this spraying. Um, or perhaps it's uh, they've just been cleaning the roads. Like, you know, and when they salt the road, it's actual salt. It's like rock salt that's thrown out of this truck. Earlier this morning I was working on my sci-fi story and it's it's nice because there's this deadline and I'm slightly past the deadline, but I appreciate the deadline, and I hope I hope the other writer, uh, Patrick Bolivar, is <laughs> you know not uh, doesn't have a voodoo doll. Uh, but I, I have received his writing. We're doing chapter two now, and. It's so interesting, this amount of resistance that I have. Um, and it's part of the process, but it's just this 
you know, sort of getting getting through that. <clears throat> and the crisis is part of the process. There's an expectation that readers have. You know, we're so used to our cultural way of doing this. You know, and if there isn't a crisis structurally, then it feels like something is wrong. That there has to be this, these extremes of rising and falling and uh, rising again. One of the ways of looking at the crisis is that the the inter the internal journey uh, is completed. That there's actually a a climax that happens internally at the at the point of crisis, and that as the crisis is ending, the main character has this epiphany or, you know, enlightenment. Uh, one of the descriptions that uh, I, I'm getting from my screenplay writing manual that I use for structure is rebirth. So there's a death and then a rebirth right away. Dark Night of the Soul has a very spiritual connotation to it. Just and right there in the in the title is Soul. And for myself, I've got to translate that into psyche. Uh, you know, all everything, everything that has to do with sacred or spiritual, religious, it's, for me, it's, I've just, I have to translate it, otherwise it just doesn't make sense, and, uh, yeah, so I can, I can do it in the psychological sense, so for me, the dark night, it's the dark night of the psyche, and that there's this internal loss, this internal conflict that happens. And so yes, what so what is it exactly that is is happening at the at the crisis? One of the key, one of the key elements of the internal conflict is this struggle between want and need. And so we, we need things like food, water, shelter. Um, you, and you can argue that we actually need um, community and we need, uh, we have a need to socialize, and 
be with other human beings. You can argue that that's a, a need. I, I, I would argue it too, because I've, I've seen the studies where, say, uh, these, these horrible studies, you know, where, say, kids were denied um, physical touch, right? They were totally taken care of. I think these were, like, a hundred plus years ago. And hopefully we don't have any... I don't think there's a need to do these studies, but it should seem obvious that, you know, to be held uh, by another human being is is important as a child. Uh, and then the, child, the children who weren't t- uh, sort of cared for, uh, that they... Uh, you know, it's like they got sick, they died, whereas the other kids who were, you know, held, carried, <clears throat> uh, that uh, they, you know, they survived. They had some some level of interaction, I guess. But uh, the things that's the things we need when you're talking about story it gets into you know this deep internal um, internal requirement and I would argue that we're sort of getting into the terrain of symptoms versus cause Um, our desires what we want are very external, very, um, let's see, they don't, they don't meet what we need, uh, dealing, dealing with the cause, and the main character doesn't really, these, and two, this is just, this is generalization, this is theory, this is narrative theory, um, but it's a it's a great sort of baseline. It's a good place to start and to think about. It's like, well, what you know, what does my character need? You know, in the climax, because that's where you know that finally is going to happen. Whereas in the crisis, it's it's about desire, want of, of things, and to, usually it's a, a, it's a specific desire, wanting to obtain something externally, usually, and there is a, there is a great failure, everything falls apart. Uh, there's a, there's a willingness to sacrifice everything in, or, in order to obtain uh, what is desired. I'm just I'm just trying to come up with this analogy <clears throat> or a metaphor. Uh, I think in the case of writers, in the case, in in my case, perhaps yours, it has to do with 
um, being published. And actually, yeah, that's appropriate and accurate because even when you get published, is what's called, um, I think it's called, you know, post-publishing blues. There's a better term for it. And I think it's a bit like Paris Syndrome, where you get there, you know, and it's, it's not what you had imagined and hoped and dreamed for. And that doesn't sound right. Because, of course, when, you know, when you're wrapped up in the fantasy of it, you know, you have this... It's like, oh, it's going, you know, it's going to be... It's going to fix everything. It's going to be amazing. And that's, that's desire. You know, that's desire and want. You know, I want it. And when I get it, I will feel better. Um... And there's, there's nice things about it. Uh, there is a sense of accomplishment. There is, it, it does open up um, more possibilities. It's sort of like the foot in the door. So there is a sense of, a greater sense of possibility. But it doesn't fix the problem. And that problem is answered in the climax. So it's a matter of figuring out what it is. And I don't know about you, but for myself, it's, it's about addressing, uh, the need. What is, what is the need uh, that I have? What is it that I'm getting out of the process? And, and for myself, it's where it ceases, it ceases to become about publishing, and it, it, it gets into storytelling, it gets into a sense of purpose, um, this horrible notion of that I have a, a role, a function to fulfill, and, you know, I, you know, I can, I'm free to not do it. But at the same time, you know, why not explore it and see, see if it's for me? And that sound, might sound a bit vague, but, but I'm getting into, you know, say myself, I'm getting into uh, why I'm doing this thing. Um, there's parts of it that are dissatisfying, and there's parts of it that are quite satisfying but the the crisis is very much I'm thinking it's like winter right we have the you know the the opposing um, positive of summer and then we have the the crisis is this absolute ugh, this failure it seems, it seems like a failure. You know, it's, uh, the crops are gone, uh, everybody's 
seeking shelter and warmth. Crisis is following uh, the midpoint. My hope is is to just sort of isolate each of these uh, the big plot points and explore them, discuss, you know, say what I've come up with and um, reflect on on what they mean. Crisis in, I'm just thinking of, in a social sense, I'm thinking of a crisis, a crisis like 9-11, that there's this tragedy that happens. I, re- I remember, it's, it's interesting because I'll hear people say things like, you know, everybody remembers where they were. But for, for me, it was more of a surreal event, sort of uh, participating in something and on one hand, I sort of questioned, yeah, on one hand, I sort of questioned, you know, well, why is it such a big deal? Uh, I remember I was in uh, college, and these television sets had been rolled out uh, onto the concourse, sort of this large open area. And so in between classes, right, I'd be walking by, and then in the classes themselves, there'd be these discussions, or just sort of, you know, oh, did you hear, da-da-da-da-da, while talking about it. And then I, 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 I think I sort of took it as a, like on one level, I, I wasn't surprised because, you know, re- retaliation or terrorism, it's, it's not new, you know, it's, it's always been around. Uh, and then... On the other hand, it, it it's it's a big deal, right? And it just it just seemed to escalate. It just why am I saying this? There are these kind of smaller tragedies, uh, terrorist attacks that you know that that happen, or um, mass shootings, say. And they, they don't receive the same kind of uh, press and the same kind of attention, which which is unfortunate. There's kind of a level of jadedness. Uh, but I, I, I think that's it, is that there's these levels. And I, I don't know what, you know, to what degree is, you know, if we're talking about damage to property and damage to human lives you know what what degree the, tra- the tragedy is 
kind of want to attach catharsis, but it right at the moment it's not it's not quite fitting. I think that catharsis would fit into the territory of rebirth that say you know, because of this event, this painful uh, upsetting event. Also, too, in theater, uh, in theater and story, that we get a chance to participate in something. Um, We go through this imaginary experience, and we develop these relationships with characters that are not real. And yet we, we are sharing in this experience. And... In a way, it's teaching us or informing us. And, you know, we're moved to tears. We hate the villain. Hopefully, hopefully the moral ambiguity has purpose. You know, that sort of underlying it, that there is a kind of subtextual um, dialogue. For, for myself, it has to do with you know, this kind of endless push towards uh, demonizing the other, you know, and uh, struggling against that. Why? Because I am the other, you know, and I, I don't want anything... I don't want anything terrible to happen to myself, you know, my family or friends. And I want I want that awareness of that responsibility to be shared. Uh, I think it's a great thing. <laughs> don't don't you don't you? Um, yeah. So In, in in that sense, it gets back to embracing purpose, you know, and find it, finding the purpose in storytelling. You know, there's a reason why we're doing it. There's a very important. Um, on one hand, it's culturally defining, but it's all about. There's something compassionate involved in it. Um, Something deeply, deeply caring. Otherwise, why do it? And so it's this really important transmission of values. Uh, It really is rocking the cradle, the hand that rocks the cradle. And, And of course, you know, books are banned and books are burned. But there's, but there's a, an agreement that goes on, you know, about the purpose and the function of, of story, even though we aren't all discussing it and sharing it. So the best and the worst of stories involve uh, a catharsis. So 
what is catharsis. So it's Greek, and it's it's all about this um, purging, this sort of build-up of, you know, sort of, um, what's it called? <clears throat> I'm coming back to another term, um, sublimation, which is this expression that, say, you have this repressed um, part of yourself, you know, perhaps that you want to do something that your culture doesn't want you to do, or uh, something has happened to you, and it has created this kind of knotted-up repression. There's something internalized. And sublimation is this creative act that actually improves the world. It improves the the culture, adds to it, and you know, you know that's the that's the the sort of n- the Nobel Prize of uh, intention that you uh, that you want to improve, you know, that you want to improve matters, and you want to make the world a better, safer place. And it's open to uh, interpretation. You know, what what does that mean? Uh, I have my own perspective. You have your own perspective. There's another writer who is adamant that, you know, writing stories about Japanese anime characters is really, really important, you know, and it's have you know this d- desire and want to get that out there and share it. Some kind of uh, fan fiction that is really important to this person that it speaks to their quote unquote soul. And I, I translate psyche. But the. The whole point of the crisis is about things not working out the way you want them to, and we're moving towards things working out the way you need them to. And it's a, it's a really interesting, I, I find it interesting, this conundrum of getting to, getting to the point of crisis, editing the crisis, and be thinking about what is it that the character wants and doesn't achieve. And to, I mean, the unobvious Uh, let's see, right now the story that I'm looking at and it's it's very rough this science fiction manuscript but there's this hope of there's this desire of 
kind of keeping the past going. And it's a bit of an evolution, evolutionary kind of problem that instead of adaptation, it's about, oh, well, let's, say, control our environment or uh, let's make it so that this species doesn't have to evolve anymore, that we don't have to adapt. There's no more uh, need for mutation in our species. We'll just lock it down. And, and where it's at right now is that this falls apart on a number of levels that socially there's people working against that and that and, and too I'm, I'm still working on it but hopefully many drafts later um, but this for me personally the sense of catharsis is that I feel so uh, tied up, handcuffed, bound, bound and gagged, uh, and about, oh, I am too. But this is about uh, global warming, and we're doing this. We're doing recycling where I live, and. <clears throat> There's, there's an awareness and a, a general agreement, you know, yes, the environment is a good thing and we want it to continue. And, and, the, th and the thing is, is that it will continue regardless of whether we're there or not. So it's about us surviving the environment. And working on this, it's difficult, but it's also cathartic for for myself because I get to I get to answer these questions and I get to ex explore and share and have a dialogue with with a reader the reader And this, this particular science fiction manuscript, it's, um, the crisis feels different. It doesn't feel like it's the usual, um, throw rocks at the character, main character, and make things really difficult. You see, that's a part of it, um, to answer expectations of the readers, but yeah, so it's a part of it, but it's 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 not the whole package. And so yeah, I'm seeking to subvert expectations in in some way. Also, writing um, 
I've spent a lot of time writing middle grade, young adult, this sort of tween kind of genre. And it's it there's a different mindset. There's a different type of communication. Not talking down to, but being very clear. Uh, and two, there's guidelines. There's, say, certain things that you're not supposed to go into and not supposed to uh, discuss. And, it, and two, that unto itself is interesting. You know, I, didn't, I didn't think about that until I, until I got there and was in the, in the editing process and really found myself constrained. And then I went and did some more mature work uh, sword and sorcery and then this sci-fi and I found a different kind of constraint with these mature works it's it's about leaving behind the imagination and the wonder of you know a middle grade uh, world of you know the imagination and instead shifting into this more concrete static things are le less elastic so yeah and, and to I think oh it should be more open you know if you're writing mature it should be wide open and yet it, it's just it's just constrained in a different way It's almost like, you know, you know, kids, stay out of here. And then vice versa. It's like, adults, stay out of here. You know, this, is, this is our stuff. Uh, and, and further definition, you know. Like, I am not a child. That's kind of the whole subtext of uh, grown-up literature. And and there's a there's a loss there. Um, you know, there's this potential for fullness, and, and and then there's this adamant opposition, right? You know, I'm <clears throat> and I would argue for a balance. You know, it's. It's, it's, it's great to have, say, some levity. And perhaps that's what comic literature or humor, um, satire, perhaps that's what that's all about. I feel like I'm talking through my hat now. So we're getting closer to wrapping this up. some other perspectives of the crisis, some other kind of metaphors. Um, in the, the belly of the whale. And it can be a variety of, of different images, but it has, has to do with being uh,
I want to say that it's part of this kind of rebirth process, the, the death and the rebirth, that it has to do, there's almost like a, a grave kind of quality, or a cave, or a grave, grave, cave, womb, which is an odd sort of transition to be making. But then, you know, there's this whole notion of the rebirth, and that has ties to really, really ancient ideas of uh, burying somebody, and that they live on, or in some cultures and places and times, uh, actually consuming the person, and that they, they live on through the tribe so that it's not the not the end it's almost almost controlling like not not being willing to let this person go how, how could you let this person go uh, and two we have memorials uh, for soldiers and for loved ones we have you know, gatherings where people who knew the person who's passed on. E even that terminology, passed on, right? It's, it's, it doesn't mean ended, right? It means moved on. It means, you know, that they've transformed, in a sense. It's metamorphosis. And that's where we're getting this rebirth happening. So, the crisis isn't just about failure, it's, it's about change. Oh, there's Ursula K. Le Guin again. Story is change. And change is painful. It's, it's about wanting something so desperately that you're willing to go all the way and be broken and then be remade into something new. There's also a letting go. There's this holding on to desire, you know, what, what one wants. But in, in the crisis, one has to let go. You're forced to. And that's the symbolic death that's going on. And by letting go, you are, in a sense, reborn with this renewed sense of identity and purpose. And it's become, it's become a whole new game. You know, the sort of um, perception has been very narrow, uh, narrow-sighted, and now it's opened up. And the main character, perhaps for the first time, can actually see, or at least see on a greater scale, uh, has, uh, can see, you know, some of the buffet, whereas before it was just one way of doing things, one meal. You know, I only eat this.
That, that reminds me of my big uh, culture shock going to Korea. And I already had some sense of the variety. And I had some sense of, say, food and language. Um, but when I went there for, this was for a couple of years, and it was, it was really difficult. It became incredibly difficult at the end. Uh, I noticed it at the beginning that there was, and I slowly ad adapted to it. But the whole experience, uh, there was something in me that broke. There was this idea. I had this idea that I was cosmopolitan, you know, and that I was, you know, oh, you know, open to new experiences, new cultures, new ideas. But what I walked away with was that I am narrow-minded. I have a... I have preferences. And, you know, that I've become ingrained, um, narrow-minded. And... That was tough. It still is tough. I find myself wrestling with this old identity, you know, and um, finding it difficult to embrace the new identity. So this is something that hasn't happened overnight. But I am a different person, just subtly. But I, you know, I am different and. There's a, a rebirth there. And you could probably look at any part of your life and, and sort of see that, you know, the transition. And wanting something, it doesn't work out, you know. Um, my, my first thought was all of these divorces that my childhood friends and I were surrounded by. Our parents, our families, our parents were very uh, they were very passionate and they uh, they really wanted they really wanted family they wanted to have these great relationships they wanted they desired them but this this wasn't reality and all of a sudden you know there's all of these broken families because these parents are they won't accept uh, the reality of the situation. You know, that it's, again, it's the Paris Syndrome thing, where it's, it's not what you want. It's what you need. <laughs> you know? And that's such a tough pill to swallow. And, and unfortunately, they've, you know, they've passed that on to, to their kids. And, you know, c'est la vie, that's life. And two, it's probably a cycle of that, that say, you know, their own parents, uh, our grandparents, you know, were dissatisfied. And and at least, uh, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think back, at least one of the grandparents, I know that there was a divorce in the past. And so this, 
as I talk about it, it's like, oh, you know, this is a very human thing, you know, wanting something. And, you know, it's, it's probably part of our um, you know, de- the development, being a child, wanting something, you know, being upset because you can't have it. And that the, the not having it is actually what, what we need that we need to be independent rather than codependent. Um, because the, the codependency, that's where the, the despair is. You know, and constantly seeking something that doesn't exist. You know, getting to Paris, being devastated because all your fantasies are falling apart and French people are you know, won't talk to you, and, (laughs) you know, Paris doesn't look like the pictures, right, where's all the music with the accordions, where's the guys in the boats with the striped shirts, mustaches, and berets, I want to go home, well, we're on the way home, ah, and it's, it's tough, uh, it's tough. And it's difficult because we're surrounded by, you know, these sage, sagely wise people who are, you know, feeding us these maxims and aphorisms and sayings like advice, basically. You know, like myself too. I'm not. I hope I'm not, you know. <sighs> but getting back to the function of story, that you know, it it has the ability to help people. That say through the seeing the main character's story, that you know you can pick up a lot from a main character. The, the diligence of Frodo. Uh, although, although, it's, you know, it is said that Sam is the hero of the story, and there's equal diligence there. And becoming a, a hero in one's own life. And, you know, s- striving against Oh gosh, striving against what we want and fighting for what we need. The crisis. I. pooping out and we're just about home thanks for listening uh, I hope that this has been helpful at least to be thinking about the crisis I, I find it helpful to talk about it and to sort of roll it over and go well, well what is this thing what is this what is a crisis and
is there is is there a better way to be dealing with it rather than just sort of you know driving through and checking the spelling and checking the grammar and um, talking with beta readers is there is there more to it I think ultimately it's it's about looking at you know our own crises you know the crises of our life uh, your life uh, the life of other people around us and to be to be considering that and yeah and to and to sort of modeling um, for for others for the reader you know and um, clarifying you know what 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 it is right the the purpose of the purpose of a crisis but again you know it 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 sucks listening to people you know who are giving giving good advice i'm trying to think it's like well did i appreciate that advice um what is it you know to find some kind of comfort i guess in during the crisis and find some way of getting through that said i found a lot of comfort in stories right that stories help to you know say distract me and to um take my mind off uh worries and troubles okay that's enough from me take care